a Highline podcast. This is Ravel, a roundtable show about the complexity of faith in the age of information. My name's Josh. I'm Stephen. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of American Christianity, and we still keep thinking about how to take it seriously, even as we leave some beliefs behind. We think theology should be an exploratory dialogue, so our hope is that this podcast will encourage growth, both for individuals and communities. We don't have all the answers, but we're here to sort out as much as we can over a drink or two. Join us as we ravel out our faith in a complex world, pulling on one thread at a time, seeking meaning at the end of it all. Thanks for listening. Welcome in, friends. Welcome in this this wonderful evening. Thank you. Hello. What an intro. Welcome to you as well. <laughs> what are y'all drinking? I just made a drink. I just invented it. I don't know what to call it. Uh, I went downstairs because I knew we were jumping on. And Stephen, I knew you were going to be drinking alcohol. So I was like, well, I don't want him to feel left out. Sorry, Emily. Uh, I threw together. <laughs> None taken. It's Key Lime LaCroix, which, if you remember, is the king of the LaCroix. Mm-hmm. And also some Bacardi rum. And I salted the rim and I threw some lime juice in there. It's delicious and I don't know what to call it. Wow. Wow. That is quite the variety huh. there. Basically, what you made is a homemade white claw. <laughs> nice. <laughs> DIY white claw. There you go. What about you, Emily? What are you sipping on? Uh, well, I can't consume alcohol. Oh, that's not entirely true. I'm allowed to have some, but I choose not to. Whoa. So wait, I'm what? staying healthy. Yeah. FAS, yeah, though. It's actually okay. Like, it's actually okay to have like a glass of wine every now and then. Is it really? Whoa, that's so. Yeah. That's okay. I'm learning new things. It's weird, isn't it? When you're pregnant. Yeah. Like right now, I, I could consume like a Chardonnay if I wanted, but I'm not. I don't remember many things from high school health class, but I do remember talking about fetal alcohol syndrome. <laughs> yeah. But that is like. An, uh, like an insane amount of alcohol consumption. Also that video was also that yeah. video we had to watch where the was it the woman like set the bed on fire while her husband yes. was in it? The burning bed. Yeah. That it was yep. all, all about that domestic abuse. I don't remember her name. Yeah, that was yeah. wild. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, what are you drinking? <laughs> I wow. I'm drinking a strawberry banana smoothie. Oh beautiful. Now just look forward to the day where you could throw a little vodka in it. Oh, trust me. That'll be like the first thing I consume after this kid is born is I'm going to just crack open an entire box of wine. Absolutely. And just go a ham. A whole box. A whole box. Look at you go. I yes. am also drinking alcohol. Thank you for the teaser, Josh. I, in honor of my other podcast and our sister show on the Highline Network, The Whiskey Bench, I am drinking a delicious glass just of neat Lafroig 10 scotch whiskey it is the peatiest of all the scotch whiskeys it's like drinking a it's like drinking a campfire it is and it's absolutely wonderful because i feel like getting spicy this episode i want to talk about the concept of heresy and who the hell gave anyone the permission or the authority to define it cool yeah, because like I, I often make a joke on Ravel about how I'm, I'm the heretic in our midst. I mean, we have a, an episode titled The Heretic in Our Midst. Because you're the heretic in our midst. Yeah. <laughs> True. But so what does that mean to you that you guys podcast with a heretic every week? Uh, I find joy in it. Do you? What kind of joy? Yeah. Like, do you listen to me and you're like, this, this idiot. 
What is he talking about? No, the exact opposite. Oh, okay. Literally the exact opposite. Aww, thanks. Yeah. Josh, does you're, it? Oh, you're you're no dummy. Jo- no, Josh, does gosh, it bother no. you that you uh, tie yourself to heresy this way? Well, I'm not convinced you are a heretic, but I really like your question. Like, who decides who's a heretic? Who's what's heresy? Because I do like the idea of identifying bad theology. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's real, right? Mm-hmm. But I think your question about like who gets to monopolize the conversation is a really good question. Yeah. So that's that's kind of my question. Is like I know we have concepts of councils giving us creeds and stuff like the Nicene Creed or even the Apostles' Creed before that. I know we even have modern examples of like the Chicago Statement on Inerrancy and the Nashville Statement about, uh, what was that, LGBTQ statement. But what, who gives, why do they have the right to do that? Is just kind of what I'm mad about. Is it because mm-hmm. some people view theology as democracy? Oh. Possibly. Oh. That's a new concept for me. Say more about that. Like, People literally voted on the council ideas and like the, those statements are literally clergy coming together and agreeing Mm. on something and showing that Mm. other people do not disagree with them or that the people who do disagree with them are in a minority. Does that? Oh, okay. I think that's key because it doesn't feel very democratic when all you invite is basically the Southern Baptist convention to sign the Nashville statement, right? Like you're not Mm, allowing differing voices at the table to begin with. But the fact that all the Southern Baptist major leaders agreed on the Nashville statement says something about Southern Baptistism, Mm. Southern Baptism. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Is that more of an indictment? Well, not an indictment, maybe. But is that does that say more about the individuals that comprise the Southern Baptist Convention or the system that is the convention itself? I would say the leaders. Leaders, yeah. The leaders of the system. Like the council's say more about those who were involved in the councils than it does the early church, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Because like some people who were at those councils disagreed and then like got removed from leadership. Yeah, which I'm I'm trying to think of a a decent rebrand for even what heresy is. I kind of think of it now as theological gatekeeping. Like what what I don't know. I keep coming back to this question, but this is just mostly what makes me angry is like, what gives them the right to erect that wall, put a gate in the wall and say like, you have to agree with us to live in this city or Mm. (laughs) like be a part Mm -hmm. of our team. You know, that that's problematic. I feel like in your opinions, this is to both of you. uh, What do you think is the difference between labeling something as heresy versus excluding a belief that is not yours? Like, because to believe things means that you don't believe other things, right? Like, every belief disinvites someone else from the party. Mm. And so, like, what's the difference between not believing something to be true versus labeling something as heresy? I feel like it comes down to some form of authority gets to slap the heresy sticker on that belief, you know, whereas just exclusion based on... You know, like it's incompatible to be an open theist and also believe in predestination. But that that feels like it comes down to the individual just making making a choice to believe one thing over another, whereas heresy carries a weight of authority, like an authority figure gets to say, like the pope gets to say this is heretical against the tradition of the Catholic Church. Emily, what do you think? Come back to me. What? Oh, what? Come back to me. We get to do that? Come back to me. Yeah. 
no one said there was a pass option in the podcast. Right. Okay, fine. Um, Boom. That's, <laughs> here's, that. here's another thought. That's very good. Do you think that some people are implicitly taught the idea <laughs> once heresy, always heresy? Yes. Because yes. like that's not in the Bible, but we like have this concept that has existed in Christianity and theology that like we slapped a label of heresy on it. Stephen, I think you bring up a really good point about that. And there's like this It'll, implicit yeah. understanding that like once something is labeled heresy, it is always considered heresy. Absolutely. And we just get to like refer back to the authority of whatever council made that jurisdiction. Which is really interesting because that is so similar to papal authority. But like most Protestants do oh. not agree with papal authority. Oh. Like as in following the Pope's decisions. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. But it's so similar. Very much so. Yeah, that's that's a tough one. I Okay, so like down to the definite, I don't know, is there a definition of heresy that we can work with? I guess it's just like a belief or well, a theory. Well, that's what I was trying to get at with what's the difference between heresy and you don't believe that thing. So I think it comes down to like if we're going to address the quadrilateral in the room, like it comes down to if we're saying anything against tradition, right? So like it's a belief or theory that is in variance with some sort of established custom or tradition that is generally wide accepted by the church. But then again, like that generally wide acceptance comes from authority from the top just like you're saying, like papal, uh, papal authority being able to say, well, so let the deconstructionist in the room remind us of the <laughs> term heresy. <laughs> no, I'm being serious about this, though, because I think the word heresy nowadays has such a negative connotation to it, where if you actually look at the Greek word, it actually is a neutral term, and it's just oh. merely holding a particular set of opinions. That's really what all it meant. So it doesn't have to be negating or similar. It, it just is, you know, it, it's just different. It's just a different opinion, and that's just how it is. But we view it as, well, then that therefore is bad. Mm. But that's mm. not the case when we originally had the word in the first place, you know? Yeah, because we have it in our mind that heresy is rebellion is that right like we think it's like uh explicitly negating the tradition or the the pre previously yeah. held belief whereas it's supposed to be neutral it's like we're just a variant within this tradition maybe because i think exactly. i think it's really easy to feel that when you're when you're the type of person who likes to ravel out your theology because typically it's i mean it starts when you're questioning at least for me it starts when you're questioning a belief that you were taught to be foundational to what the Christian faith is, you know? So like when I start doubting the existence of hell or its purpose, all of a sudden it carries a weight of not only there's enough of like a, like my body has learned to fear hell enough that even in my disbelief of it now, there's still an inkling of me. That's like, maybe I still end up going there because I just don't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> so like that's that's very annoying like but even then it just it comes mm. from authority given giving me that idea calling it foundational and all of a sudden like we said last episode like when an idea comes to me that won't leave me alone that draws me into some sort of wilderness where i come to a different conclusion than the tradition i was handed now i'm the heretic because i'm like in the middle of the wilderness saying but what if it's different but again, I think how we we can we have 
the ability to approach it to say that there's nothing wrong with that. I think for so long we have just associated heresy with that is bad. Hmm. And Mm -hmm. just because you have a differing opinion, just because this council thousands of years ago have this particular view about the Trinity and maybe now 21st century Stephen has this different idea of Trinity, that doesn't mean it's bad. It's just different. And that's okay. Okay, but what do we do with like calling out harmful and bad and abusive theology? I don't think that's I don't think that's heresy. I think that's something else. Oh. Okay. Cause it's differing, but it's it's differing in a way that is not how do I phrase this? It's one thing to have a different opinion. It's another when that different opinion is infringing or life-limiting to someone else. Oh, okay. So maybe it's coming down to orthodoxy versus orthopraxy, right? Like yeah. if, you, if you start living out actions that are negating to someone else's dignity, then it becomes problematic. Is that what you're saying? Uh, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. I think you could argue that that is heresy, though. Because that goes against Jesus saying the greatest commandment is to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. Like, like people love to rag on prosperity preachers and some people will call like straight up call that heresy, but like prosperity, the modern teaching was never denounced at one of the councils. Like it's not classically considered heresy in the sense that like what Stephen is getting at, Hmm. but like people love to call it heresy. Mm-hmm. But I, I think, I guess that maybe that is a good point, like kind of what you're getting at, that we can call that bad theology and we can call that, we can call it out for harming people and being a twisting of- A distorting, Jesus yeah. Jesus' teaching, yeah. But it's not necessarily like quote unquote heresy as considered by some of the older Christian church councils. Maybe that's the only way that heresy makes sense is heresy was something that was denounced by the early church councils. Mm. Maybe. It always has to come back to something. It feels like it's always referencing the past in some way. Like if if we have a diverging stream of theological thought, it's always resting on the Christian or religious tradition that came before it. So like, was Jesus a Jewish heretic? Well, that's why he got crucified, right? Yeah. I mean, I would think so. Like, but even then it was the authority seeing how he was taking the tradition and doing a like a big old cosmic plus one on it, right? Like it's this and this, but that's still viewed as, okay, but no, we have a whole tradition dating thousands of years in the past. Like we have these texts that tell the story of our people and guide us to this place. So that is why he got crucified is because the Pharisees, the reigning religious authority saw him saying things that were heretical to the Jewish tradition. Mm. But I don't know that I <laughs> I'm thinking about the book The Scarlet Letter and how Oh yeah. Puritan culture like being branded with the scarlet letter was to call out uh, you're you're not acting according to our you know our common law or our common the common way we have agreed to do things which is essentially just the definition of politics. But so moving beyond scarlet letter like the the Puritan culture of like burning a witch at the stake or <laughs> <laughs> or excommunicating someone as an apostate is, I don't know. It just seems, I don't, I see where they, where authorities can think they get the power to decide what is heresy or not, but I'm not, I'm not convinced that they're making the right, uh, 
even the right logical moves to give them that power. So then what would you suggest, like, to move forward? How should it be? Like, if we were to have another Council of Nicaea, <laughs> even that doesn't really exist, but if we were, <laughs> you know, what would that look like? How would that be handled? Would it even happen? Should it even happen? Well, no, because I don't think you can solve the problem by enacting the same tools that the system that created the problem used. Boy, did that make sense? That felt convoluted. But like, okay, so the, in my view, the problem is created when a group of presiding authorities, wherever they think that authority is derived from, the problem was created when they got together and, you know, signed a statement or created a creed. I don't know if we can solve the problem by doing the same thing and expecting a different result. No, so that's what I mean. So like, what mm. would what would you do then? I think inherently the solution might have to be decentralized in some way. And maybe I'm thinking in too dualistic of terms to even think there is a, a solution to a problem. But I, I think a, a decentralization of theology is useful. And that's honestly why I love podcasting as an art form mm. is because like, it comes down to hey, if you ac- have access to the internet and you know how to set up an RSS feed, literally anyone can have a podcast. You don't have to like sure. sign on to Spotify or get like a network TV show to broadcast your conversations or your ideas, which is I, I think might be another symptom or cause for like deconstruction at large is a lot more people have voices now and a lot mm. less people like authority structures are feeling the threat to their authority because now lay people and normal people like us have access to the same methods of broadcasting our ideas or our questions. Okay, so how do we prevent then, kind of going along with Emily's thought experiment, how do we prevent anti-fundamentalism from becoming its own fundamentalism? Because in my opinion, (laughs) any group of people, like we're just like going to end inevitably end up in this problem again where like we meet together and like oh i agree with you that like that thing is bad and oh we all agree together and like we're gonna make a new thing and then we're gonna like all label that thing as heresy like we're just gonna end up in the same problem again of institutionalization (laughs) yeah having the monopoly on what is right and wrong just turtles all the way down dang it what what did you just say (laughs) turtles all the way down yeah have you not heard that expression the frick does that mean i gotta hold on let me look it up I've never heard that before. <laughs> well, okay, so here's a thought, though. If it wasn't for these councils and determining what is heresy and what isn't, a lot of our beliefs wouldn't be what they are without them. Like, if we were to ask Stephen, without having any history or knowledge of these previous councils that met in regards to the Trinity, if we were to ask Stephen, hey, Stephen, how do you view the Trinity? And you gave your answer that's partially going to be influenced by the decisions of some of these groups like the fact that it is heresy or not yeah no that's true yeah like i i don't i don't know if i would successfully be able to read the bible at face value and come away with a robust theology of trinity if not other people thinking about it before me and yeah. having issues with throwing out ideas like what what if it's not trinitarian and what if the god we we interact with is modal you know like have you heard of modalism where mm-hmm. it's not that it's three in one coexisting but it's one god manifesting as father son or holy ghost 
mm-hmm. at different like the ice water steam yeah, analogy. Yeah. 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 Are you saying like what's so bad about learning about things and going through your own processes? Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, I guess. I mean like hmm. I've toyed with modalism before. I I came to the conclusion that that's not how I think God is, but like we talked about in in my episode about like the heretics in our midst, like sometimes we come to conclusions that are against tradition, but then it's easy to feel like you're just left out in the middle of nowhere. Like you don't have a place to belong because you won't sign on to something that you think is. To be fair, there are other people who are also in the same boat as you. And then we create our own thing. And then, then now we get to (laughs) to define what heresy is. Right. Exactly. End episode. It's a recursive problem. (laughs) I agree. And maybe that's just the answer to my question is like, who gives, who gives anyone the right to define heresy? It's like, well, the people who found the authority, like somebody trusted them enough to make that Mm. statement. Well, I think part of it is also just human nature to define something. So, you know, we have all these fancy theological terms, terms like Ecclesiastes and, you know, like soteriology and theodicy and pneumatology and all these other words but like who at like we defined and created these terms to help with something but mm. we could have mm. chosen or created a different word and we could have you know added to the definition we could have completely changed the definition like today we we could have a different way of expressing our soteriology and our ecclesiology and all the other ologies of the world like that's just human nature to have a term and it just so happens that heresy is a term that has just for some reason been the same for thousands of years but again it doesn't have to be a negative like there's nothing wrong with not fitting in the same camp as everyone else you're just different steven is part of your problem with the concept of heresy is that it's too prescriptive that like, do you feel robbed of the process, I guess, like by some people like already saying like, no, modalism is wrong. Like believing that God exists in three different forms and is not three different persons. That's wrong. Don't think that instead of allowing you to come to those conclusions on your own. Hmm. Is that part of your problem with it? Maybe. Yeah. I mean, it, maybe it just comes down to, I, I have enough pride to just <laughs> want to say like, don't tell me what to think, you know? <laughs> <laughs> You're not the boss. I hope I'm self-aware enough to recognize that that might be the problem is I like, man. Here's a question. Yeah. Basically every church that I've ever seen, uh, including the KKK, they all have a statement of belief on their website Mm -hmm. or in writing somehow. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure Emily, I'm sure your church does too. Yep. Is every church by having a statement of belief by not including things, are they labeling other things as heresy, like by not including them? Or are we defining heresy as something that is explicitly labeled as incorrect? Do you see what I'm saying? Like, is heresy the sure. implicit or is it the explicit? Oh, I get. Well, now I'm thinking I'm trying to think of our own statement and whether or not. Because <laughs> in my opinion, every belief devalues a different belief. Right. It. It almost has to. Yeah, I think so, like by its nature. Yeah. But I guess where I'm getting tripped up is like, I don't necessarily think that by me saying I think a belief is wrong, I don't think I'm necessarily calling that heresy. Like heresy has a really specific meaning to Christianity 
in that it's trying to define Christianity. Mm-hmm. I don't know, Stephen, maybe you're right that like we just are going to inevitably run into this problem by trying to fit bounds on something that's religious and spiritual. I mean, to be honest, it probably comes down to where you sit with like objective reality versus subjective experience. Like mm. even the, ca- the, the search for capital T truth feels like it gets into here because uh, maybe someone who feels the authority to define heresy feels like they're standing on rock solid objective truth to do so, you know, like they need to be supported in that. Sure. So maybe it's coming down there. I think it also is stirring up questions to me about the feeling of being so certain about a belief that you're willing to unequivocally say that anything in opposition to the belief you hold with such certainty is wrong. You know, like maybe, maybe I'm bothered by what feels to be maybe a lack of humility in someone someone willing to say like well that's heresy and then just write someone off as a heretic because they don't believe Mm. a very specific wording of like how you should view trinity or something like that you know this is difficult (laughs) so josh i have the uh the etymology of my uh turtles all the way down phrase if you'd like oh please share i don't know what you mean by that turtles all the way down is an expression of the problem of infinite regress The saying alludes to the mythological idea of the world turtle that supports the flat earth on its back. It suggests that this turtle rests on the back of an even larger turtle, which itself is part of a column of increasingly large world turtles that continues (laughs) indefinitely, hence the phrase turtles all the way down. So the exact origin. No. Okay. Listen, you can laugh. That's fine. The phrase comes from like mythological ideas in Hindu tradition, but that can also tie itself to like indigenous America's people Yeah, where there's this mythological framework of like the world existing on the back of a turtle. And the question then, it's kind of like the Christian equivalent of like if the universe in- exists inside God, what does God exist inside of? Exist in. Yeah. If not God's okay, self, sure. right? So like there, there must be a basis for something, but if, you know, if a turtle is supporting the, the world on its back, then it must be swimming in some sort of water or be, mm. you mm-hmm. know, find a footing on something else. And maybe that just happens yeah. to be a bigger turtle, but then where does that turtle exist? You know, like <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a problem of basically it's just like, it's a way to define fractals is what it is. Yeah. Like the way, the it's way just turtles all the way down. Exactly. Okay, that's funny. I like that. I'm going to start using that. Because we can talk ourselves into <laughs> loops. Is Yeah, infinite regress is basically the point. Um, In your opinion, is heresy just doing that? Like the idea of labeling something heresy, are yeah. we like missing the point sometimes? Maybe not all the time? Yeah. Well, that's, that's kind of what I'm thinking is a, a certain number of people decided that there were heretical goings on within the church at the Great Schism when Eastern Orthodoxy split from Catholicism. And then a certain number of people thought there were enough heretical things going on to branch Protestantism out of the Catholic Church beyond that. And then we have a splintering effect. It is kind of that way, huh? It's like enough people start giving weight to a theological truth enough to start defining your in-groups and out-groups. And then you just kind of split off from there. Like, I mentioned it as a joke a little while, uh, a few episodes ago about Michael Gunger and what he's doing with the liturgists right now. But like that honestly feels like what he's kind of 
accidentally yeah. starting is basically enough people the idea or the framework or the ideology picks up enough steam so all of a sudden they have their own denomination i mean like in, in my own history well and that's where the word denomination comes from well and my it does yeah exactly and my theological You're background naming something was what told me that emily was a christian heretic because of methodism you know like yep mm, yep that was an explicit belief i held was because my group says this and because enough authority figures in my life give me enough certainty around that belief then anyone who doesn't have the belief like can't be a part of me my i guess my main problem is that i don't see that as the the ultimate vision of the kingdom of god oh totally you know like i feel really comfortable saying that i can comfortably disagree with some things that people say or agree with some things that they say but not agree or disagree with everything they say mhm sure yeah I feel really comfortable addressing the nuance there. Mm -hmm. Like Greg Boyd is a great example. Like I can really get on board mm. with some things he says, but sometimes he'll like put out a different opinion and I'll be like, oh, well, I don't know about that. I need to think about that some more. Like, or I completely disagree with that and I'm fine with that. Like we're never going to completely agree or disagree with other people. Mm. Yeah. And I feel comfortable in that nuance. But I think a lot of people don't. Yeah. But I think we should be. I think, like, because obviously there's a ton of different Christian opinion out there. Oh, yeah. And I think we would be better off for acknowledging that we can agree to disagree sometimes. That's exactly what's happening in the Methodist church right now. Oh, <laughs> really? Yes. We're going to take a quick break to say a few thank yous. Then we'll be back to our conversation. Thank you to our generous patrons for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Y'all are such a huge encouragement to us. If you'd like to support future episodes of Ravel, visit patreon.com slash RavelPod or by tapping the link in the show notes. Thank you to everyone who is giving five-star ratings and thoughtful reviews on Apple Podcasts and to everyone who contributes to our weekly discussions at RavelPod on Instagram and Twitter. And of course, much love to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music in full color. And thank you to the Highline Media Network for having us as one of their founding podcasts. Here's a quick preview of a recent episode from our sister show, The Whiskey Bench. Sure. If, if the default was that man was inherently good, it would be difficult to tell a lie. It would be difficult Ooh, to not Okay, okay. Okay, I think I see where our difference is, Torna. Is I think I think man is inherently good, and that it would not be difficult, but for the social contract that teaches us competition, that teaches us the definition. You are a communist. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this came out a couple weeks ago, where the Wesleyan Covenant Association largely is a very conservative group of Methodists and Wesleyans. They are in the final sort of stages of solidifying a new Methodist denomination called the Global Methodist Church. Whoa. And this is happening because of the whole conversation around LGBTQIA plus clergy and weddings. Um, and so even within the same denomination, we have this fractaling appearing. We have this split, you know, where one group is saying those who believe in 
allowing LGBTQIA plus clergy, like, that's heresy because it goes against our book of discipline. Well, we've been trying to change our book of discipline for a number of years, so our language is more modern and more accepting and more reconciling and more affirming, and it's just not happening. Like, the votes are happening. This this whole process is just so annoying. Mm. And so we're seeing a split. And, you know, churches and conferences are going to have to decide, are they wanting to be affirming and reconciling? And if so, then they would be called United Methodists. And if they are not, if they are wanting to hold true to the traditionalist idea of what Christian marriage is and who can be appointed as clergy, then they would be joining what is now going to be the global Methodist church mm. when when that finally happens. Um, yeah. Heresy. Oh, it's just a it's a very interesting topic <laughs> because just because something is heresy and I've I've said this many times, this episode, it doesn't mean that it's bad. But we still have this opinion mm. that it is bad. So like this idea of in the Methodist Church allowing LGBTQIA plus people as clergy, there are some individuals who would say that that is bad. And they would then say that it's heresy for those who are a part of that community to be appointed as clergy mm. or to serve as a bishop or to be married in the church. And there are some who would say, well, no, because if we look at the teachings of Jesus, you know, to love your neighbor and all that jazz, then it's not really going against teaching. But there are so many elements that go into defining what is deemed good or what is deemed correct and what is deemed incorrect or bad. And again, it's having to do with this labeling because we're comfortable with it. It's in our nature to label and to have control over those labels. And when someone doesn't fit into that, oh, guess what? We have a term for that. Heresy. Mm. Okay. So should we then say that uh, heresy and bad slash harmful theology are not necessarily the same thing? Like they might overlap, but harmful bad theology isn't always heresy and heresy is not always bad theology. Yes, I would say that. Absolutely. Okay. Mm. Because in my mind, heresy just like I'm with you, Stephen, I think, I think heresy totally evokes that feeling of like old traditional authority that we are like hearkening back to kind of like the same way that the Jesuits will hearken back to uh, papal authority. And they'll yeah. like, look at two different papal decisions and try to like find the third way of, this current, present, modern situation that we're in, yeah. is it more like this, option A, or is it more like option B? And they're like actually looking at like historical decisions. I, I think of heresy, I think, more as like that historical decision more so than bad theology. Like in your example, Emily, like obviously there's two very distinct camps and plenty of nuance in between, but like those two distinct camps, obviously some people view LGBTQ clergy as wrong but in my opinion that does not make it heresy right it's more like <laughs> and they don't see it this way but it's in my mind it's more like personal opinion yes and biblical interpretation <laughs> theology. And, yeah exactly right but on the flip but i think that also works on the flip side like just because you think that lgbtq or like anti-lgbtq theology is harmful that doesn't make that heresy either Exactly. But you can and still view it as harmful, I think. But and that's I, why the Greeks had it right when, if we just look at the root word and where it comes from, it just means differing. There's nothing in there about it oh. being negative or it, it's just different. 
We oh, as he, okay. we are the ones that add negative to it. So maybe it is okay to call it heresy then, but we just need to get away from the framing the of it as negative. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Mm. Oh, maybe I should backtrack that then. <laughs> well, now I don't know. <laughs> Great. It's complicated. Emily, what were you taught about heresy in seminary? Because like you're the only seminarian here. Well, for one, I was I was called a heretic. <laughs> in seminary? What? Yes. What? Oh. <laughs> oh gosh, I'll never forget this. This was great. We had a class project where we had to talk about um oh gosh. Well, I don't remember exact oh, we were talking about uh the writings of Paul. And my group, of course, was given the wonderful task of dissecting and raveling out the writings of Paul regarding women leading the church, right? Uh-oh. Um, and I had made a comment. I don't remember exactly what the comment was, but I remember I made a comment and a guy in the back of the room who was watching our presentation, like our little poster board unfold, <laughs> just yells from the back, that makes you a heretic. and. Everyone in the room was kind of looking around, and even our professor was like, what are you talking about? Where is this coming from? So then that led down this rabbit hole of what is heresy, what is blasphemy, you know, what defining our terms so we know we're actually using them correctly and not just throwing out words to throw people off their game. Because what he was saying was the church doctrine essentially was claiming that women should not lead the church. And our professor was like, yeah, no, that's not in there. Like, it it may say that in this particular Bible passage, but if you look at church councils and if you look at all these creeds that we have and you look at the decisions that were made, it, they don't have anything negating women leading churches. So what you just said was kind of false. Like, you're kind of the heretic in that sense. It was really bizarre. It was really bizarre. And I just remember from that moment on being careful when using the word heresy or blasphemy or calling someone a heretic. Because for that very reason, we establish this negative connotation and we therefore deem that it's bad or false when really it's just different. And if it's not mentioned specifically, in writings or doctrines or dogmas of the church, then we can't really say whether or not it's heresy, because if they don't talk about it, there's nothing to differ. I think we should take a step back for a second and recognize that the word heresy, I know we already know this, but like the word heresy is just a label that we've slapped onto trying to identify someone who has quote unquote wrong theology, whether we think that just means incorrect or morally wrong. So I think the better question maybe to ask is, what do we do with the people who we think have wrong theology, whether it's incorrect or morally wrong or misinformed? Man, I'm going to sound like a broken I think record. That can, be a, that can be a slippery slope. Oh, wait. Oh. How so? I, and I'm not saying I entirely agree with this. I'm just saying it can be like <laughs> we're huh? we're now then just coming down to what is then in what is correct theology. And that's why when I. That's why I love my church so much. When I preach, I make sure to say if it's life-giving or life-hindering, because what may be life-giving for me is not necessarily life-giving for someone else, but that doesn't mean that it's incorrect. It just means that it's different. But I think there mm. are universal ideas that we can agree on, I think. Oh, I would hope. What do you think those are? One. What do you think those are? 
is that what was meant by the creeds? Like, is heresy supposed to be a very specific label that applies specifically to something that goes against the creeds? Yes, I think I strong like I full heartedly believe that. Huh. Okay. Mm. So where does that leave us then? So okay. So like for example, if we were to talk about Arianism, right? This idea that the true divinity of Jesus taking various specific forms, but that then deter- like we then decided, well, no, this is how we truly see Jesus in this moment. Arius had a completely different opinion than everyone else, and he was full-heartedly ready to start this movement to identify Jesus in a different way than the church was looking at Jesus. Mm. And there's a reason why we have the creed that we have now is because if Arianism were to be the victors of that debate, we would have a completely different creed. And so what, what would that creed say? Um, you could take a pause and we could look it up because I'm very curious now. I guess oh, it would it's say. That, it, okay. So Arianism and Christianity is the Christological position that Jesus as the son of God was actually created by God. Yeah. Oh. And is yeah, not co-eternal. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes, it does make sense. I mean, no, but yes. Uh-huh. So, nice. <laughs> so, like, I think of the Apostles' Creed. You know, I believe Jesus is the Son of God who was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was died, crucified, and rose again, blah, 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 mm-hmm. right? Arians would say, <laughs> I believe Jesus is the son of God, but is not co-eternal with God the Father and is distinct from the Father, Yeah, therefore subordinate to God. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, we would have a completely different view. So that would mean that those people, right, those who, let's say Arianism was the victor and our creeds all, we all had this church belief that Jesus was not co-eternal, was actually subordinate to God and was not part of the Trinity, but was created by God. That would mean all of us would be heretics because we would believe, well, no, wait a second. What if Jesus was co-eternal? Or would we be heretics? Because instead- Yes, because we're going against church doctrine. Yeah, but if the church doctrine was Arianism from the beginning, which is more Unitarian than Trinitarian, if that was the prevailing belief that was handed to us in the creed, then Trinitarianism would be the heresy. Like It, ju- it, yeah. it literally just comes from the authority structure- that exactly. puts it in place, right? So that's what I mean. So that's, but I, that it's this idea that heresy is looking at differing opinions regarding to church doctrine. I think personal theology cannot be quantified as heresy. Oh, wait, what do you mean? Because you can't, ha- you, you as an individual cannot rebel against a system. You need a system to rebel to be called heresy. Yes. Wait, I still don't understand. What are you trying to say? Okay, so all three of us have this understanding or this commonality that Jesus is the son of God. Can we agree on that? Okay. Yeah. Sure. Our personal theologies leading to that discovery, how we came about learning about it, how we formulate this relationship with said son of God can't be heresy. Because it has nothing to do with the church doctrine of son of God, right? When we have a creed that says, we believe that Jesus is the son of God who suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and buried, blah, blah, blah. That's it, right? That's the only thing that they are focusing on, that they are trying to have 
a unifying standard on uh-huh. anything else that we add to it for ourselves is not heresy unless we are going directly against that particular part of the creed. So if we were to say, no, I don't believe Jesus is the son of God. Well, then <laughs> one would you even be a Christian for that matter. But if you were to say, well, I think Jesus is the son of God, but I don't think he's part of the Trinity. That's heresy. You're going against the church doctrine. So in that sense, is it kind of similar to thinking of theology as concentric circles? Like the middle circle is like the core stuff that Christians should pretty much agree on, except maybe like changing the phrasing a little bit or something for better interpretation or something. Uh, yeah. And then there's like secondary and then there's tertiary. And is yes. it kind of similar to that? Yeah, because we are going to have our own personal understanding of son of God. But we all as Christians have this idea that, yeah, Jesus is the son of God is part of this Trinity or whatever. But we can have this secondary tertiary understanding for ourselves and that can't be heresy if it's our own personal theology if it's our own faith journey that we are embarking on and trying to discover there's no way a council can entirely set in stone what people are to believe there's just no way and that's just because they can't predict the various no. Well, they just can't predict the variations on the theme, absolutely. basically. Absolutely. Culturally, historically, generationally. I mean, 30 years from now, people are going to have a different understanding of all these terms that we have, but there's going to be these concrete understandings that the church has decided to be doctrine, hmm. that unless they have a council to then vote on later to change, that's dogma like that is doctrine and anything that goes against what the church has established is heresy but like your personal opinion is not necessarily heresy it's just a differing opinion well that just brings me back to the labeling of heresy being democratic yeah like it's just enough people decide like i don't see how it can't or, be or agree that it's heresy which is kind of a that thought josh is kind of a philosophical kick i've been on and i don't know if i get to brand it as like christian existentialism or something like that mm. but basically coming mm. down to like the statement would go the only reason anything matters to us is because enough of us have agreed that it matters to us mm -hmm. in some way like it's it's picked up enough weight as a thought form Oh, I see what you're saying about Christian existentialism. Yeah, enough people assent to it and agree with it that like it enough of us enough of us have evoked meaning in something that we yeah. make it meaningful. Yeah. Yeah, which not to throw too many wrenches in it, but like the economic corollary to what I'm saying is the only reason the US dollar to us holds value is because we all agree that the US dollar holds yeah. value. Like as a fiat yeah. currency, like it's on the good faith and credit of the United States government that this dollar creates any value to us and that we're willing to use it as a system of trade without having to resort to straight up bartering. But I, I kind of want to elevate that into the spiritual realm, which is like, I, I feel like Emily's example of Arianism was good. It's like if enough people actually caught on to Arianism, that would be our new dollar. That would be the new thing. That would be the prevailing theology. And then something like Trinitarianism would be called the heresy. And mm -hmm. like we're we're only where we are at this time in human history to believe that anything 
against Trinitarianism is heresy. I don't know. So maybe the authority to define heresy literally just comes down to like enough people agree that proposition A is true. Therefore, proposition B must be false. And again, that's not it doesn't have to be bad. It just it just is. Hmm. But wouldn't because I I hear the critique of that and saying like, okay, so literally every one of your beliefs is subjective and it can't be it won't be rooted in anything because you only believe it because enough people believe it. So it's only come down coming down to subjectivity. And that leaves us, I don't know, like that leaves us in a well, philosophical that, I think that conversation. That's exactly what happens with heresy is people only believe things are heresy because enough other people believe they're heresy. Like, I don't mm-hmm. think, I don't think very many people today, kind of like what you were talking about earlier, Stephen. Uh, I don't think very many people today actually believe things are heretical because they came to those conclusions on their own. Like they were handed those ideas and they were told that all the other people agreed that those are heresy. So therefore, they also agree and assent to those things are heresy. Yeah, they're just getting caught up in the systemic moment. But I also don't think that uh, thinking that heresy can exist, I don't think that that presupposes that new ideas can't come about. For instance, women ministers. Like, nowhere in the creeds does it say only men can be ministers or clergy of any sort. So therefore, that's not heresy, right? Right. Mm. Like that can't be labeled heresy because that was not like an early church doctrine that was excluded. Exactly. Exactly. And that was what my professor was telling that classmate that yelled that I was a heretic was you need to know what you're talking about first. So do things only change if enough people agree that the early church tradition was wrong? I would say, unfortunately, yes. (laughs) Which is hard work. I mean, like the question of slavery, like I think they're like Peter in his letters endorses slavery Mm -hmm. not necessarily i don't know if he comes to the defense of it but like he he has language for like not necessarily suggesting that even slaves should be liberated but simply that masters Mm -hmm. should treat their slaves with kindness which might have been countercultural then but like the the slavery conversation enough people agreed that slavery was wrong in order for abolitionist movements to come up and Mm -hmm. and solve that particular issue Okay, here's a thought. Does heresy only deal with abstract theology regarding God and not us? Oh. I would say yes. Ooh, that really changes things. Man, in an hour. What in, a game changer. finally talk about that? Yes. I would say yes. Because like your example earlier about uh, Arianism, while it does deal with Jesus being a real human being and like messing around with that, uh, that's still regarding like the abstract nature and concept of God. And it's very God focused. So is Harrisley specifically God focused? I would say yes. Wow. Okay. Wow. That really changes things. That totally changes (laughs) things. It doesn't change many things for me because very often the things that the, the conclusions I feel like I arrive at in regards to abstract beliefs about God are still called heresy. Yeah. Because like people talk about, so like Christian universalism, like Rob Bell is the famous heretic of our age for mm-hmm. Christian universalism because of love wins. I think even people would say someone like Thomas Ord might be a heretic for open theism versus more traditional beliefs about predestination or Calvinism. Yeah. Yeah. And those are the abstract ideas, aren't they? Not necessarily provable ideas, but enough people believe in something provable. Man, 
I feel like I'm still coming back to like there is a lack of humility to admit that they still might be wrong about it, especially because it is an abstract idea about God. So maybe that's why yeah. that maybe that's why heresy bothers me at the core of it is just because I I feel like I've had to learn a habit of intellectual humility to even say that yeah I might totally be wrong about open theism or Christian universalism and that's why I continue to ravel those out or like grapple the, with those concepts like I maybe this just comes back to the the certainty conversation like it's it's way more appealing to be super certain about something and be able to stand on it as bedrock Mm. do you think it's truly life hindering to a theological system that hears someone endorse christian universe like now my major problem is that if heresy is just reserved for the abstract ideas about god that cannot be proven anyway right what could possibly be life hindering to like you know, like, why did Rob Bell make so many people angry with love? Because he was willing to rock the boat, just like Jesus. There are a lot of people who were pissed at Jesus because he was rocking the boat at that time. Yeah. You know, it comes back to this. Again, it, there's this idea that, oh, because you have a differing opinion, it's wrong or it's bad. We automatically associate different to being bad. And we need to change that mind frame. Mm. Not everything that's different is bad. Yeah, just because of like familiarity bias. The other thing I've had in the back of my mind this entire conversation, and I didn't know how to bring it up until now, was like the historical imagery of the word heretic. Like when someone labels someone else a heretic, in some ways you're like evoking the fact that heretics are and should be burned at the stake. Yes. Because that's what like labeling someone a heretic meant back when it was used a lot. And most people will not admit that they are implicitly implying that. But like, that's what is meant by the usage of that word Mm. in its original context. And I think that that's really worth acknowledging. Like, I think that that's why I don't really like using the word heretic, even for those people who I disagree with. Because like, there's tons of theology I disagree with. There's tons of theology I think is wrong and incorrect and misinformed. But I don't like using the word heretic for even those people. Mm. even if some people like using the word heretic for me, because I'm sure there's lots of ideas I have that some people would view as heretical or wrong or harmful. Yeah. And of course, there's always going to be those because like, I'm not perfect either, but I don't like using the word heretic because of that historical connotation. And to be honest, it's kind of why I've latched onto the word heretic as almost like a, a badge of some sort. It's like, yeah, cool. Sure. Call me because like the people who are willing Burn to me at the stake or, or just the people who are willing to call me a heretic for believing Christian universalism or even yeah. call me a heretic for not saying the Pledge of Allegiance. Like, good. I don't want to They're- be accepted in your eyes because I don't think being like super patriotic is the way of Christ. So good. I'm a heretic mm-hmm. in your eyes because I do not belong in your system. That's fine with me. Right. You know? And that's because you have determined that it's not bad. It just (laughs) is different. Yeah. That's like my mantra. (laughs) So just the fact that it's different. (laughs) That is like your mantra. The fact that it's different, though, maybe this is a good final thought to close on, is like the difference is here to be celebrated. And in fact, I think the diversity of the kingdom of heaven is exactly what Jesus came to preach the most about. 
especially yeah. opening up the idea of salvation beyond the 12 tribes of Israel and beyond the devout Jews of the day and saying, Gentiles will one day join this party too. And you need to be okay yeah. with that. And if you're not, we might have some problems. And we did have problems and they crucified him for it. Yeah. He wasn't burned at the stake, but he died a horrific death. Yeah. He was you know? a spiritual criminal. Maybe that's what a heretic is, is a spiritual criminal, just based on Ooh. the... Look at that, these new terms we have. <laughs> spiritual emergency, spiritual criminal. Spiritual criminal based on maybe a problematic system that handed yeah. down the law to begin with. Ooh. It's messy. Totally. Well, I don't know if we have any new conclusions about heresy, but thank you for indulging me on a very convoluted and <laughs> cyclical uh, <laughs> discussion about totally. it. Totally. Turtles all the way down, my friend. (laughs) Turtles all the way down. (laughs) Any final thoughts you have before Emily signs us out? I would like to reiterate that I think there is so much value in just acknowledging that there is disagreement within Christianity. Whether you are an atheist, whether you're talking to an atheist, a a different Christian of a differing opinion. Because, Emily, I really hear what you're saying about uh, opinions can be different. And, like, that's okay to acknowledge. Like, on some level, you have to acknowledge that ideas other than your own exist and yes. are out there. And I just find so much value in that. Like, we're, ne- we're not going to solve everything. We're not going to get everybody to agree on the same page. As valuable as it is to, like, find identity and common core belief. And I just think it's so valuable to acknowledge that there is disagreement and diversity in something so broad as Christianity. That was a good sign-off, honestly. Like, you took the words out of my mouth, Josh. Oh, what? Did Josh just do the sign-out? Okay. Okay. I guess then. Amen. Bye, I guess. Amen. Sweet. Welcome to the Whiskey Bench. Every episode, we pair a new and delicious cocktail with a roundtable discussion about philosophy, politics, or current events. Whether we're tackling the January 6th Capitol riots or Twitter's censorship faux pas, we aim to look past the simple answers and discuss the complexity of our world. Or we discuss the unanswerable philosophical questions like if mankind is fundamentally good or evil. And I discover I might be a communist. So follow the Whiskey Bench if you're into questions like these. Highline Media Network. Normal people in normal places.